0: Matthew 28, and let's just read from verse 18, <clears throat> as we begin, Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with, with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's open word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, we can gather here around your word. Thank you, Lord, for the time we've already spent this morning considering the, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And Lord, as we now consider uh, the Great Commission, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, you would teach us. Refresh us. Lord, may we leave uh, singing your praises this morning, give all glory and honor unto you. Lord, I do pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit as only you can. Lord, you would (coughs) hide behind the cross and that you and you alone would be seen and heard. and Lord, your name would be praised and and glorified this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, on Friday, we saw those wonderful words that Christ cried out from the cross, it is finished. And then this morning, we saw those wonderful words from the angel, he is not here, for he is risen. And so we've looked at these two glorious truths, the, the truth of Easter, Christ died on the cross, it is finished, all the work was completed, he died to pay the redemption price, paid in full. And it was confirmed by his resurrection. And Christ rose again to confirmed that his death was sufficient. And now let's turn our attention this morning to what the disciples were to do with this glorious message. This glorious message that Christ died for all and is risen from the grave. Well, Matthew ends his gospel by focusing on this very thing. These verses, (coughs) we know well, they're referred to as being the Great Commission, particularly verses 19 and 20, we know these verses really well. And this event here takes place in a mountain in Galilee, takes place sometime after Christ's resurrection. And this is the fulfillment of Christ's own words. He told his disciples that he would meet them in Galilee. Uh, Matthew 26, (coughs) excuse me. Matthew twenty six and verse uh, thirty two. We we'll start in verse thirty one. It says, "Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee." In chapter twenty eight, uh, where we are today, in verse ten. <clears throat> It says, Then Jesus saith unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. And so this was according to Christ's words. He had told his disciples both before his death and after his resurrection, he told them that he would meet them in Galilee. And so the disciples are gathered together in this place at his instructions, and we see the Lord meet with them here in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so they've gathered together. And so it's more than just the 11. There is you know, quite a large crowd of his followers who are gathered together here in Galilee to meet with the Lord and to hear his words. Now, of course, we know this is not the first time the disciples have seen him after his resurrection. Okay? John tells us that he met with them in the upper room for the first time. And so this is not the first meeting. This takes, time after, it takes place sorry, after that, sometime after that. And while it is not the first meeting with our Lord, it is a very important meeting, isn't it? It's a very important meeting with the Lord. It's at this meeting that they receive their apostolic commission. And it's these words from Christ that I want us to focus our attention on this morning. I want us to look at the Great Commission. Because really it is the flow, isn't it? You know, Christ on the cross, it is finished, the resurrection, and what are we now to do with it? What are we to do with that glorious news? Well, that's the Great Commission. And as we look at our Savior's words here this morning, we see that there are three parts to this message. There are three parts to this message. First of all here, we see the great claim. The great claim. Look in verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Christ begins by saying to his disciples here, he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now the word power here, <coughs> excuse me, the word power here can also be translated authority or jurisdiction. And so Christ here is claiming that he has all authority, all jurisdiction over heaven and earth. In other words, that he is the one of the highest rank. And because he's of the highest rank, it means that he is able to give this great commission, doesn't it? Okay? It means that he can commission them with authority to go and do this. Because all power, all authority belongs to him. And notice that Christ declares here, he says, all power is given unto me. He says, all power is given unto me. Now, when we read this in the English, this seems to imply or seems to suggest that Christ didn't have all power, didn't have all authority before this, before this time. But we know for a fact this is not true, don't we? Okay? We know that Christ has always possessed all authority because he's God. And, you know, during his ministry here on earth, Christ clearly exercised that omnipotence. He exercised his power, his authority over all things. Now, he demonstrated his, uh, his power, his authority when he healed the sick, when he healed the lame, when he, he cast out demons. Christ exercised his authority over nature, his authority over death as he raised the dead back to life. And so it's clear that Christ has always possessed all power he's always possessed all authority even before his death burial and resurrection he's always possessed all authority because he is god and so what then does it mean when christ makes this statement when christ says all power is given unto me what does christ mean well this claim is made in direct reference to what he has accomplished on the cross It's referring to his authority over the souls of men. It's referring to his power to save. His authority as mediator between God the Father and man. His position that he now holds as the mediator. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul speaks about how Christ came to earth and how he humbled himself in leaving heaven's glory. Let's turn there, Philippians 2. <clears throat> Another wonderful passage we, we know well Philippians 2 and verse 6. Well, we'll starting verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here Paul highlights the fact that Christ, the eternal Son of God, left heaven's glory and he took upon himself the form of a servant. Okay, Christ humbled himself. He limited himself to the likeness of man so that he might become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so he willingly went to the cross to purchase our redemption. And because of this, because of what he accomplished there on the cross, Christ has now been highly exalted. Look in verse 9. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Christ died on the cross, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death. But now Christ has been exalted to the position that he he deserves to be. He's exalted into into heaven. His rightful position as Lord and King. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and there he acts as our mediator. You see, Christ by his redemptive work on the cross has all authority, all power in heaven and in earth. You see, he defeated Satan at the cross. He defeated death and sin, crushed Satan's head, and he set the captives free. And so Christ has all authority over the souls of men. You know, in the Old Testament, the saints in the Old Testament, they look forward to Christ's redemptive work, didn't they? Okay, They were saved by faith, looking forward to that day when Christ would purchase their redemption. We are, Look back to the cross as the day that Christ purchased our redemption. The point is, it's because of what he accomplished there on the cross that he has all authority over the souls of men. That he has the power to save all who will believe. Ephesians chapter 1 is another wonderful passage that expresses this truth. Ephesians 1 Ephesians one and verse twenty it says which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Verse 22 in particular, it says, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. It tells us here that all things are under his feet. He is above all. He has dominion over all. He is the head of all things to the church. Indeed, because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, Christ has all Power, he has all authority to redeem you and I, to defend, to save us, to save his church. Because he purchased it with his own blood. And beloved, it's this authority that Christ is claiming here. When he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, he's highlighting this wonderful truth. He has the power to save. He has the authority to save. Because he purchased us with his own blood. And it's with this authority that Christ now commissions his disciples to go. And so we see secondly here the great commission. The great commission. Look in verse 19. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all even unto the end of the world. Amen. It's in verse 19 and 20 that we now find the words so often referred to as the great commission. Christ, having just told his disciples, told us that he as mediator between God and man has all authority in heaven and earth. He now sends them forth. He commissions his disciples. And he begins with the words there in verse 19, Go ye therefore. Effectively what Christ says is, he says, Because all power, because all authority is mine, because I have power and authority to save, go. Go. You see, the disciples were to go forth with his authority, with his power. You see, this was the foundation of their message. This was the source of their power in their preaching. They were to go forth knowing that this world is under his control, that he is on the throne. They were to go forth knowing that he has the power to save all who will believe. This is where the authority, the the power in their preaching comes from. In our preaching, our teaching, our witnessing comes from. It comes from Christ. Yeah, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, Paul makes this point. He says, "If Christ didn't die and be buried and rise again, conquering the grave, then our preaching is pointless." Just turn over there. We alluded to it this morning, but let's go and read it. First Corinthians fifteen, starting verse twelve. First Corinthians fifteen, <clears throat> verse twelve. It says, "Now if Christ be preached." That he rose from the dead. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, we have found false witnesses of God, because we have testified that God, oh, sorry, of God, that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ. Raised, And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is in vain, and ye, yeah, yet in your sins, then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. And we keep going on. Paul makes the point clear, doesn't he? The power, the authority of our preaching comes from the knowledge that Christ died, was buried and rose again. Victorious over the grave. You see, our preaching has no power, no authority without Christ. And His finished work on the cross and His resurrection. The power in our preaching, the power in our, our witnessing and the gospel message comes from the knowledge that Christ has done all to purchase our redemption and that He is alive. You know, this is the power, this is the authority that he tells his disciples now to go forth with as they preach the word. And the same is true for us today. We're to go forth with his power, his authority. You know, Romans 1, let's turn there, Romans 1 verse 16. Another verse we're familiar with. Romans 1 verse 16. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Why? Because of Christ. That's why the gospel has power. That's why it has authority to save. It's with that power, that authority that we go forth. In verse 19, Christ then goes on to tell them what they are to go forth and do. Verse 19, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Christ goes on and he says that what they are to do They are to go forth with his authority, in his power, and they are to teach all nations. The interesting thing here is that this word translated teach in verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That word translated teach is not the normal Greek word that we find translated teach in other passages. This word translated teach here actually means to disciple or make disciples. Disciples. And so what Christ actually says, he says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what he says. Make disciples. You see, this commission that Christ gave to his disciples, to us as believers, this commission here was to, to do more than just preach the gospel message so that people might get saved. The commission was to go beyond this and to disciple those who believe. You see, discipleship speaks about teaching them. It speaks about instructing them in the faith so they might grow, they might be firm in their faith, and they might then live their faith. You see, this ministry was to be one of making disciples. And Christ tells tells us exactly what's involved in making disciples. He goes on. He says, "...baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you." Discipleship involves baptism and teaching. You see, there are, these are the things that ought to follow someone's conversion. When someone gets saved, we are to teach them so they might be baptized And then we are to instruct them in the doctrines of God's word. Now just because baptism is mentioned first, doesn't mean that it comes before teaching. Rather they go together, don't they? That as we teach, they're led to understand that baptism is the the first step of obedience. So they follow the Lord in that. And then we teach them from there. They go together, teaching and baptism. You see, the point is the disciples were to go forth, preach the message of salvation. And then when they saw people get saved, they weren't just to move on. They were to stop and they were to show them from God's word. The first step of obedience is now baptism. And then they were to teach them, instruct them in the knowledge of God's word. And the whole purpose of this is so that these converts might then be taught so they could teach others also. Isn't that what 2 Timothy says? 2 Timothy 2. Second Timothy 2, verse 1, says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. This is the whole purpose of a disciple's ministry, to reproduce yourself, you know, to teach others so that they might then go and disciple others. You see, the disciples here, as they're sent forth by the Lord, they're not just sent sent forth to win converts. They're not just sent forth to see people get saved. They were sent forth to teach them, instruct them, build them up in the Word of God, so that they might then teach others also, so that the body of Christ, the church, might grow. Now, beloved, the commission that Christ gives here is not just for the disciples, it's for all believers. This is our Lord's commission to us as believers. This is our purpose here on earth. We've been left here to make disciples of all nations. You See, Christ's desire is that when we see someone get saved, that we then take the time to disciple them, that we show them the importance of baptism in obedience to him. That we then teach them the doctrines, the truths of God's word, so they might go from the milk of God's word to the meat of God's word. They might grow in him, strengthened in the faith, and so they might then live it in their daily lives. You know, this is the purpose of the church. Not merely to win converts. Ephesians 4 talks about this. Ephesians 4 Here we see the purpose of the church is to perfect the saints. Look in verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The purpose of the church is the perfecting of the saints, it's the building up, the strengthening of believers. In the sound doctrine of God's word. Why? For the work of the ministry. That's what he says there. Perfection of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so the reason we gather together each week as a church body is to be built up and strengthened in the word of God. Built up and strengthened in the knowledge of his truth. Be equipped. So we might do the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? Go out and tell others. Bring them in to be discipleship. Discipled and taught and built up, built up in the law. You see, the church, that's the purpose, isn't it? We're here to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, we must never lose focus of that truth. You see, the Great Commission means more than just winning souls. We need to understand that. If we lose focus of that, we lose focus of our whole ministry here on earth. The Great Commission is to do more than just get people to come to Christ. It's to then take them and disciple them. Teach them the Word of God. And, beloved, this is why our youth ministries on a Friday night are geared towards discipleship, not just evangelism. This is why our Sunday school program is geared toward discipleship, not just evangelism. You see, we're seeking to disciple those young people who get saved, to, to build them up, to teach them, to be strengthened in the faith. So they might in turn then reproduce themselves, bring others to Christ. Now this is why we don't just simply every Sunday preach the gospel to the exclusion of everything else. If we did that, how strong will we be in the Word of God? We'd be fed milk every Sunday. And we'd be failing the Great Commission. Beloved, yes, we are to preach the gospel. Yes, we are to faithfully witness so that people might get saved. But we also then need to teach them, disciple them in the faith. We see thirdly now the great comfort, the great comfort. Go back to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 and the end of verse 20 there. It says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. Christ having told his disciples of his authority and commissioning them to go forth with that authority and make disciples, Christ now ends with these wonderful words of comfort. He says to his disciples here and he says to us, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. See, Christ tells his disciples that as they now go forth and seek to make disciples, He says they won't be alone. He tells his disciples that that he will be with them. In Acts chapter 1, we see the Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them. Go there, Acts chapter 1. Acts 1 verse 8. It says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Christ also told them the Holy Spirit would come and empower them, indwell them. See, Christ didn't expect his disciples, he doesn't expect us to do it alone, to do it in our own power. Rather, Christ tells his disciples here, he says, I'm going to empower you and I'll be with you every step of the way. Now, Christ knew that his disciples, in particular the 11, but the others. He knew they were going to face great opposition. As they went and they sought to obey his command, he knew that some of them were going to be persecuted. He knew that some of them would even be put to death for their faith. But he gives them these wonderful words, here these wonderful words of assurance. He says, lo, I am with you always. What a wonderful comfort that is. I'm with you always. Through it all, Reminds us of Hebrews 13, verse 5, where he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You see, it didn't matter how tough it became, Christ told his disciples, he tells us, that he will be with us through it all. You know, the Apostle Paul, he came to understand the truth of Christ's words. When he was seeking to establish the church in Corinth, he faced opposition as he sought to do exactly what Christ said, the Great Commission. Let's just turn there, Acts chapter 18. And we'll finish in this passage this morning. Acts chapter 18. Let's just start in verse 1. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. It says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and it came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth, I will go on to the Gentiles. He departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in 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 the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. It's a wonderful example here. Paul, he goes to Corinth and he immediately sets about to do what? To fulfill the great commission, to make disciples. He came preaching and teaching the truth. And when people got saved, what did he do? Baptize them. Verse 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Paul is seeking to fulfill the great commission, preaching, teaching, baptizing them. And in verse 11, it says that he stayed there a year and six months, teaching them the word of God. But in between those two verses, verse 11, sorry, verse 8 and verse 11, we have verse 9 and 10. What does the Lord say? The Lord spake to the so I then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Isn't that wonderful? In between these two things, Paul is trying to do the great commission, he's seeking to baptize them and teach them, and in between he's facing all this opposition, and the Lord comes, and the Lord says, Lo, I am with you way. even unto the end of the earth. He says, Paul, I'm with you don't be afraid keep pressing on and fulfill the great commission you see beloved like the disciples and like the apostle paul christ has promised to be with us as we go forth and we seek to fulfill the great commission as we go forth in his power with his authority we proclaim the truth that christ was buried, was died sorry christ died was buried and rose again the third day as we go forth and we proclaim that wonderful truth and we seek to make the disciples, we have these wonderful words of comfort. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. love of the Lord is with us. Let us now go and boldly proclaim the gospel message. Christ died, was buried, and he rose again the third day. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, and me, Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for Easter, this wonderful weekend when we can gather together and remember all that Christ has done for us. And Lord, we thank you for these words this morning, the, the great commission to go forth and make disciples. And Lord, the comfort that you're with us every step of the way. Lord, may you strengthen us as we go forth this week into our workplaces. Uh, Lord, around our neighbors, our friends, Lord, help us to boldly, proclaim the truth. Give us opportunities, Lord, to bring people to you, to a knowledge of salvation and what you've done for them. And then, Lord, help us to disciple them, to build them up in the faith. Lord, may you help us as a church to fulfill this great commission. May you bless us as we go forth from this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.